Welcome to the DPM podcast, where we go beyond theory to give expert PM advice for leading better digital projects. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Ashton, founder of the Digital Project Manager. Be honest, do you leave your sprint planning meetings with a well-defined, agreed-upon backlog, complete with well-defined estimated items, in full confidence that your upcoming sprint is going to go exactly to plan? Thought not. While we all know sprint planning is a good idea and critical to the success of the project, it's hard. It's hard to get it right because we're trying to reduce ambiguity. We're trying to get alignment with our team and we're trying to get to some kind of agreement. And that is always tricky. So how can you start your sprints off right and do the planning that's actually needed to get your sprint moving in the right direction and not just another false start that requires another planning meeting? As PMs, it's our job to get this done right. But how do we do it? Planning and Agile Sprint properly is what today's podcast is all about. So keep listening to find out how you can get your sprint started right. This podcast is brought to you by Clarison, the leader in enterprise project and portfolio management software. Visit clarison.com to learn more. My special guest today on the show is Alexa Houston from Crema. Alexa is a former DPM and now she works in new business. So this challenge that we have is something that she's well acquainted with. And Alexa is one of our resident PM experts in the Digital Project Manager School. So if you want to learn more from her, check out our Mastering Digital Project Management School, where she'll be making an appearance. So go to dpmschool.com to find out more about that. But hi, Alexa. Hi, Ben. And welcome to 2019, our first chat of 2019. So what are the big goals for 2019 for you, Alexa? That is a loaded question. I actually just sat down on New Year's Eve and wrote down some things. Um, I'm not a huge like resolution person because I think I'm constantly setting goals, but I want 2019 to be a year where I learn how to chill. I tend to be kind of a busybody, so I'm trying to find more opportunities to like take a step back, do some meditation, be more in the moment. And how many times? How many times in the last week have you managed that? Um, I don't want to talk about my success. <laughs> <laughs> so Accountability is important. At. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, what I've noticed is that um, New Year's resolutions seem to be out and 30-day challenges seem to be in. They're very uh, in. My gym is doing 30-day challenges. And yeah. I that's that's the trend I've noticed too. It seems better in a way. Like it's a little bit less of a... A, a daunting task if it, it's broken up yeah, by it's only month. a month. Yeah. yeah. So maybe next month you can do 30 days of meditation. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can it's always start for January, but maybe February. Well, good luck with that. I, I'm still trying to define mine. I think I, I decided that, hey, I want them to be right. <laughs> so I don't want to, I mean, we're a week into the year, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to commit to something that I can't commit to too prematurely. So still, still working on that. But um, apart from your goals, anything, what else is new? What else is new with your, um, tell us about Crema and what you kind of got planned this year. Yeah, that's a great question. Crema is, we're growing like crazy. And personally, as, as, in terms of work, I'm getting used to um, working remotely for the first time full-time. So our team's growing. I moved down to Arizona at the end of 2018 and um, was lucky enough to stay on board as a CREMA team member. So I'm adjusting to remote life. And thankfully, 
everyone at Crime has been super supportive. We actually have a couple other people that are distributed. Mm-hmm. And so between them and me and a couple people in our headquarters in Kansas City, Missouri, we have this little remote team task force. And I'll, you know, I'll, we're all committed to making sure that we feel connected to the office still. We're recognizing what improvements need to be made, what changes need to be made, just making sure that we are still able to contribute to the culture and the culture can still serve us, even if we're not under the same roof. So it's been fun. It's been, it's been a new challenge for me. It's like, it's challenged the way I think about my work discipline. I always thought I was. And then when you work at home and you look around, you're like, wow, I would really love to do that load of laundry. And you can, I'm like learning how to say no to those distractions. No, No more laundry. No, yeah. No laundry 2019. (laughs) <laughs> um, but what what are the three things then um, that your task force? Okay, I came up with three, but you might have come up with a list of a hundred. But what would you say um, for for people who are making that transition to building a remote team or who yeah were co located and becoming remote? What are the tell us maybe three things that you found to be the most impactful things that you think would change your effectiveness or your feeling of connectedness to um, the the co-located team? Yeah, that's a good question. One thing I've really liked, and this is super basic, but it's building in time every week to chat with people about non-work stuff. Cause I've really missed, mm-hmm. you know, I had some really good friends. I've worked there for three years that I moved yeah. away from and it's easy cause we don't work on the same projects and we don't work in the same teams. And the only reason I really talked with them so much is cause I, you know, they're my friends and we sat close to each other. So now that I'm gone, I talk with them over Slack or do video calls and just catch up on life things. And that has made such a big difference in making me feel like I'm still part of the family. So that's been a good one. Just like making time for water cooler talk with the people that, you know, you want to, and everybody, new team members, people who come on, things like that. Um, Another one would be, um, Oh, something we just did was really helpful. We've been using um, mural or real-time board for remote meetings. So it's kind of like a digital whiteboard. And that's been super cool just to help us create these interactive meetings when you're in a computer looking at it. Yeah. Um, because you can still create little post-it notes. You can vote on things. You can move things around the board collaboratively. So that's been really neat. And the last that's thing cool. I would do... Um, yeah, mural. M-U-R-A-L. Yeah. And then real time board is another one. And then the last remote tip I'd say is be willing to create, we, we're calling it a subculture, like a remote subculture, because mm-hmm. there's, we have such a great culture, um, that we've built inside of, I'll call it HQ again, but it, it feels a little different. Just it, it does, um, when you're not in the office anymore and you're connecting every day through your computer. So we've, as a remote team, have tried to create the subculture where we are also getting together, finding ways that we can infuse, you know, our personalities into the day-to-day, even if we're not in the office. And that's, nothing's really come about that, but we've all talked about how we want to create our own little culture that helps support the bigger, um, you know, values and mission that Crema has as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I find remote working a real challenge. I think particularly when you don't, when you don't actually get that face-to-face time um, with people. I mean, it's kind of like you you talked about, hey, actually checking in with people outside of work just to have a chat with them is really valuable. But you're leveraging their relationships that you had prior. In the situation that I've been in, um, it's just trying to meet people for the first time remotely. And 
um, like trying to develop any kind of a culture when everyone's remote and, you know, people are in different time zones. And um, I think it's, yeah, it's a really big challenge. Yeah, it is. It's no small task. That's for sure. So I, uh, if everyone's committed though, and, and sees opportunities to experiment with different tools, um, we also use a peer in, which is just a platform yeah. for people to sort of like appear on screen and be visible. That's been helpful too. But I, I mean, you're right. I, I am able to pull from the three years I had working with these people. Um, but I know that's not always the case. And it will continue to change as we bring on more and more people because we're growing a lot. And even last week, we hired three three new people started, and I just sent them Slack messages. And I was like, hi, I'm Alexa. I work with you, but I don't know when I'll see you. But here's a little bit about me. I want to learn about you. Yeah. Let's find time to chat. Yeah. Cool. Well, good luck with that. And um, I want to move on to talk about um, the – yeah, the topic that I introduced at the beginning, which is all about sprint planning meetings. And um, Alexa has written a really in-depth uh, post, which kind of talks through um, the whole process and, and how we can do it. So um, I think, like I said in the introduction, I think the real challenge, though, you know, we all know sprint planning is a good thing to do, but actually doing it right and making it effective Um I think is or can be incredibly challenging. So um, let's just start, though, for those that haven't read the post yet. Uh, tell us, I mean, what is sprint planning and why is it important? So it is it comes from the scrum methodology. It's one of the, the ceremonies or meetings that you should be having. But anyway, I think anyone can use sprint planning if you're basically dedicating yourselves to sprints of work. So when work begins and ends. But it's this is meeting designed to answer the question, what can we deliver in this next sprint and how are we going to accomplish this work? And those are two like super important questions that oftentimes a ton of people have to work together to get to those answers. And the sprint planning meeting is the time to do that. Um, we'll, we'll probably talk about this more and more later. Um, um, but there's so much prep that goes into it. Um, that if you don't set time aside to prepare for this sprint planning meeting, it, it doesn't really help. It might make things more messy. So we'll talk about some ways in which you can get prepared and make sure that you're on the, on the right foot before you say, yeah, we can do this and here's how we're going to get it done. Cool. So I think, yeah, one of the things that you talk about in the post is yeah, bringing definition to, okay, we're about to start this chunk of work for the next couple of weeks, say, um, we've got a two-week sprint, and one of the things that you talk about is you're getting some definition to that. So it's not just you know a bunch of work, but you know defining a sprint goal. By the end of this sprint, we want to have delivered some kind of value, something you know something that's going to be worth worth something to the client, and you know to incrementally get us further down the road. But um, what I found is that you know so often, particularly at the beginning, yeah, particularly at the beginning of the project, um, it's, you know, you're, when you're building something from scratch, um, it's hard to get to a goal that's kind of meaningful. So I can understand further down the line when, um, you know, you're mid-development and um, you, the, a product already exists and you're just incrementally improving it. But how do you get to your kind of any tips for getting to a sprint goal that's meaningful while you're building the thing out for the first time? 
You're right. That that can be tricky, especially up front when you don't have a lot of experience to pull from, whether on the product or as a team. Because one thing about sprint planning is it it gets better the more mature a team is. And mature can mean the longer you've worked together, or the longer that you've <clears throat> excuse me, or the longer that you've worked on this product. So, but in the beginning, you don't have that luxury. So I have found it's you just have to kind of get, get real with people. And it does help if you have a little bit of, um, you can play good cop, bad cop maybe with the product owner. And essentially you need to push the team to say, you know, what's your gut instinct here? How much do we think we can do re- reasonably and realistically? Cause I think we all can agree there's going to be those people who maybe overcommit to things and maybe there's some people that are nervous and they might undercommit to things. So one thing that has helped me and especially in the beginning stages of sprint planning is Finding out of whatever stories you're going to look at and consider for the next sprint, have the team identify what's the smallest, easiest story and what is the most complex, most difficult story and use those as a comparison point along the conversation. Because as you go and you say, okay, we're going to, you know, if we want to commit to this too, um, is this something that we can relate against either the super small piece of work or the super big piece of work? And over time, the conversation should help you like put some constraints around that and keep asking your team, do you agree? If not, um, make sure that you're giving people the opportunity to speak their minds and bring in their um, perspectives because this that part of the project can be really tricky because people might be hesitant to bring up their concerns, but hopefully you're able to create an opportunity for them to feel comfortable enough to share those feelings. So frequently checking in to say, does everyone agree? Does everyone agree here? Should we proceed? Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise you might miss an opportunity to get someone's perspective that could change the sprint goal. Um, so it is, it's just a, a frequent checkpoint along that conversation to say, does this feel right? Do, does everyone agree? Yeah. And I think, I find there's there's often a bit of a, um, you know, a tension there, though, in terms of, you know, the development team might be the reason that they're excited about the project is often different to the reason that as a product owner, you might be, um, you know, excited about the project or or trying to deliver. So how do you kind of get to that alignment and buy in? you know, and I like this idea of saying, you know, checking in with the team as you go and saying, hey, you know, guys, does this sound right? Um, am I, you know, am I headed in the right direction here? Does this sound like a reasonable goal? But how do you get there? Any kind of tips on how you get their buy-in and how you kind of get them uh, aligned with the product owner perspective on what's going to generate the most value? Yeah. So I've done a couple of different things that have helped. One is creating sort of a project vision statement um, and having that visible during, well, hopefully always visible, um, but having it written up on the board or up on the screen, just to have everybody able to quickly look, glance over and say, okay, that that is the purpose. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Because you're right, there might be some different motivations for developers versus designers versus the product mm-hmm. owner. But if everyone can look up and say, that's why we're doing this. Yeah. That should help get some sort of mutual alignment there. Um, another thing I've done, cause I'm, I'm not a technical person by trade. I've picked up a lot of technical tidbits over the years, but one thing I've done that helps with, um, getting alignment is repeating what I hear in a really elementary way, because that's the only way I can say it. And, and so when, and when you hear people talking, especially when it comes to the technical build of things or maybe certain user experience considerations, 
pausing if you don't sense there's alignment and restating it in a way to say, is that, is that what we're talking about? Is that really what the goal is here? And you might find that that is true or that might spark a conversation around how, wait, we're actually not on the same page. Like, let's make sure that we are there. So you are kind of playing a mediator role and simplifying it to make sure that everyone is on the same page. Mm. And I think a a lot of, um, you know, the the purpose of what we're trying to do here is in bringing alignment and buying buying and and bringing this definition, I think, comes from uh, the planning that we do before the meeting. So I think if we... If we just leave it to the meeting and then kind of try uh, asserting our kind of this kind of vision and goal before we've talked about it at all with the team in that kind of group environment, it can be quite challenging. But if we've actually had a chance to chat with people beforehand, um, that can really help to kind of grease the wheels in terms of, hey, developer, I, I, you know, for the next sprint. I'm, I'm thinking about this. Does that sound good to you? And having had that offline conversation, I find can sometimes help where you have a tricky, tricky team member who, you know, tends to think that uh, maybe they know better or that they've got a different idea about where, where things should be headed. Yeah, that's so true. And it's, the, I think the whole ironic part of sprint planning is it will only go well if you do planning before the sprint planning. Like you have to build in time to groom that backlog, make sure that your product owner has done their due diligence to um, sort of pull in two sprints worth of work almost and that they're all ready to go. And that's that I think takes the most grit is getting to that point where you feel you are prepared for sprint planning. It is not easy. Um, if anyone tells you it is, I, they must be a wizard because there's no other explanation for that. It's tough and it takes time and effort. And a lot of people are spread too thin to really do it well. So hopefully, you know, your PO and you as a PM have enough time to work together to groom that backlog with your client because the backlog contains not only user stories and features, but bugs, um, stakeholder feedback, customer feedback, a whole host of different things need to be in there because they're all a part of the working product. And so if there, if there isn't time built in to help prepare for the sprint planning meeting, what's going to happen is you're going to walk into that meeting. Well, even say you have two to four hours set aside for it. You're not going to have enough time to get through everything, estimate everything and have a, have an ability to walk away saying, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it because you'll get through two stories and be like, well, I've got to go. <laughs> we, yeah. have, we have no more time. Yeah. Um, so, so it can be really tricky. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, when you're in an active sprint, how do you do that backlog prep? So the idea is ahead of the sprint planning meeting itself, our stories are already pretty well groomed. So, you know, they're pretty well defined. They've got acceptance criteria. Um, the definition of done has been updated if it needs to be. Um, they've been sized in some way so that we kind of know roughly if it's even worth talking about, including in that sprint. So how do you, when, when there's an active sprint going on, who's doing this? Who's doing this estimating and having these discussions? Because it should be the team, right? Right. But, but they're in an active sprint. So how do you manage, how have you managed that successfully? Yeah, that's a very astute point because after sprint planning ends, the team should be humming along to do their work. But there is also this element of preparation that maybe you consider when you're building the sprint goal and um, setting your commitment. If you know that you're going to need a little bit more time from the team to help prep for the next sprint, 
bring that up in the meeting and maybe adjust how much you're willing to bite off because you will need people's input to help make sure that the next sprint it's it's so it's it's kind of painful it's kind of like a never-ending cycle because you can't have people doing both things all the time because the team needs to be doing the work on the sprint on their product as as it progresses um but you do need their input to help inform what's coming up next so to answer your question what i have found is it really is in the hands of the po and the product and the project manager to help make sure that they are working together with the client whatever stakeholder team in the background while the team is mostly focused on developing the product designing testing all of that but build in increments of time where you can maybe it's after your stand up in the morning say hey um, we really need to touch base on this for 15 minutes. I just have a few questions about this piece of work before you start your day. Um, finding opportunities to to catch people when they're not totally focused on something else will help make that conversation more efficient and allows them to get back to work sooner. So it, it does take a little bit of like empathy and intuition to say, when can I, when can I ask people to, to talk about this? Yeah. Um, but you'll, I think as, as the product progresses and as the sprint progresses, you'll find opportunities to be like, Hey, can I pull you away for 10 minutes and chat about this? Or can we have a 30 minute meeting? I just want to make sure that we have our ducks in a row. Yeah. One, one thing that I've also found helpful is just adjusting that sprint schedule slightly. So, um, in, introducing a bit of a gap between or basically going to a code freeze early and a release early in the sprint so that you leave maybe half a day of kind of unallocated time um, before the sprint planning meeting. So say, for example, you do a code freeze, you, you kind of a rough two week cycle, you do a, a kind of a code freeze on the second Wednesday, um, you try deploying that Wednesday night or releasing that Wednesday night or Thursday morning, you have kind of Thursday to kind of tie up any loose ends. And then Thursday afternoon is kind of empty time and then sprint planning is on Friday morning. Um, so there's half a day in the schedule. Like it, it shortens the sprint cycle slightly, but then it kind of builds in this time to allow people to actually um, chat about stuff and uh, investigate things ahead of that sprint planning meeting. So that could be another way to do it. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. It just reduces the, it just reduces the sprint uh, length. Um, that's the kind of the, the downside there, but it, it's a way to like, especially when there's a lot of ambiguity on the project and people like it prevents you going into a sprint planning meeting and everyone saying, what's this? Like, why haven't we talked about this yet? It's like, well, we are talking about this now. And like you say, if you've just got two or four hours to, to try and plan out two weeks worth of work in four hours, that's can be, depending on what you're working on, but that can be quite a tall order. Um, so I think giving yourself enough time to do that effectively is really important. Because I think one of the things that people think about when they're trying to do a Scrum project is, um, you know, hey, it's agile, it's Scrum. We don't need to do much planning. Um, the whole idea is that we just kind of, you know, go with the flow and um, we don't, yeah, we don't need to plan it out. But the actual, the reality is, yes, you need to do even more planning because you're just in these two-week cycles and those two-week cycles have to be planned out properly. You can't just go into it and start developing. And I think there's this kind of misunderstanding that, hey, just because you're doing Agile and you're doing Scrum and Sprints, then it must mean that you don't need to plan very much. But actually, yeah. it requires a lot of planning. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. And maybe I think people see agile as something where there's no documentation for things or no requirement building. And that's also not true. You're maybe just not committing as much time to that, but there still is this element of preparation that can't be ignored no matter what methodology you're using. You, you simply won't get results unless you make a plan and sorry to say, but you need to be willing to, um, to alienate the plan if it's not working. And you won't know that until you do a full sprint and then you have a retrospective to say, okay, was that good? Was that not good? How can we improve moving forward? It's, it, it's just kind of the, the funny part of making a plan is you have to be okay with it. Also not going to that plan, but yeah. you have to do it. Yeah. It has to happen. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-time activity. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing that you constantly have to, to course correct and pivot. So in the, in the meeting itself, we're trying to get to this point where we're reviewing these backlog items and we're trying to decide and get the team to agree on uh, the sprint goal. Uh, we're trying to get this alignment and buy-in on that into the direction that we're going to take for the next sprint. And we're reviewing things in the backlog and pulling them into the sprint backlog and saying, okay, making sure everyone understands them, um, making sure that they're sized correctly, and then trying to get the team to agree what they're going to agree to deliver at the end of the sprint that kind of meets that that sprint goal. Um, but one of the things that I've kind of found that can be challenging is, and this kind of comes back to the planning and the preparation thing, is that um, often we'll get to that point. The reality is, is that we'll get to the sprint planning meeting. We haven't, the, the team hasn't had a chance to review it properly. And so we get to this point in the sprint planning meeting where we're four hours in and we've only got a couple of user stories that have been sized and agreed on but we've got, you know, two weeks worth of work that we need to plan. So what often happens is that, you know, things just get turned into spikes where they say, okay, well, we'll time box an amount of time to investigate that. We'll spend, you know, a day investigating, looking into this kind of new functionality that we don't know how to estimate yet. But any tips on how you kind of speed up that process of uh, the sprint planning meeting so you don't get too bogged down with all the details of all the stories uh, and then end up with not enough work at the end of it all. Yeah, that is a common problem. Um, trying to think tactically if I can make any recommendations. One thing I've done is, this sounds pretty simple, but reminding people of the sprint planning coming up, um, not in a, an annoying way, but definitely in, in, in terms of, I don't know, it's kind of, urging them to review things that have been made available to them because mm. chances are it's very noisy as a developer, whether you're working on one product or more. And um, I've tried to make it a point to just communicate, you know, just make sure everyone, you know, we're, we have our sprint planning meeting on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, make sure you, you build in time to ask me questions or, you know, um, review the stories that we're talking about, because you're right. If, if, if you get in there and it just turns out to be sort of a slog through all these questions and you don't ultimately get anywhere, then you've sadly you've wasted several hours of time that you can't get back. That mm. time is gone. Um, and I don't know, Ben, in your experience, if you've ended up scheduling a secondary sprint planning meeting <laughs> yes. or if you say, okay, well, this is what we're going to try to do. I mean, well, what have you done in, in your experience with that? Yeah, I've um, I've ended up having to extend the you know, the sprint planning, or uh, in a 
bad scenario where that hasn't been possible, instead of doing the two-week sprint, say, okay, this cycle, we're just going to have to do a half, like a, a one-week sprint because we haven't got yeah. two weeks' worth of work. Um, yeah. But, yeah, having to have an additional planning meeting, I think it's important to – you can't just skip the planning and just say, well, the stories are the stories, and I'll just make it up for you. I think going back to the whole point of this, the sprint planning meeting, we're defining a goal. We're trying to deliver value at the end of the sprint. We're trying to get agreement on on sizing those stories in order that, um, you know, there's a, a reasonable amount of work for the team to do. So uh, these are important steps to to follow because otherwise what we'll do is if we um, just load the sprint with whatever we feel like, we're going to get to the end of the sprint and only a couple of the stories will have been finished. And then the team really quickly gets demoralized and feeling like mm-hmm. they're failing uh, because, you know, they just feel like they're not achieving anything. And I think what when when Scrum works is when, hey, we set these goals and we hit these goals and the team feels like there's momentum. And that kind of success, um, you, you know, really helps drive the project forward. So I agree. And one other thing to mention there is if you find that there's someone on the team who's a little more vocal about things being vague or, or, or you see trying to like step up and fill in the gaps, see if they'd be willing to join the, the pre-planning meetings too. Because in my experience, that's been optional for developers. But I've been on a project where there was uh, one of our devs was just, he was just really good at this particular technical issue we were having. And I could see it when we would talk about it and when we would be in sprint planning. And I came up to him afterwards. I was like, hey, do you want to be in some of the pre-planning meetings? You know, you don't have to commit to this if it's if it interferes with getting your other work done. That's important. But do you want to come in and sort of help us groom things beforehand on behalf of the dev team? Mm. Um, he was sort of their, their representative on that. And it, it ended up working well on, on that particular scenario. So if you my point there is if you find someone who keeps sort of filling in the gaps for the team or keeps speaking up, helpfully, hopefully to say, you know, we need to to fill these out a little bit more, get a little bit more clarity before coming in there. See if they'd be willing to to sort of be that liaison um, beforehand. It yeah. might help. Yeah, I think I think um, there's so much great stuff that you've included in the article. So I'd really encourage people to go and check out the article. Um, and I think really that the takeaway for me really in this is, um, yeah, the sprint planning meeting is important in and of itself. But actually, probably what's more important is the preparation prior to the sprint planning meeting. And we can't think that we can just go into a sprint planning meeting and just be able within four hours or two hours um, to plan out this whole two weeks worth of work. It's just not going to happen. So make sure that you spend the time uh, doing the prep uh, prior to the sprint planning meeting. And it's much more likely to be successful. But Alexa, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great having you with us. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. And as one of our DPM experts, uh, as I mentioned before, Alexa is making an appearance in our upcoming course. It starts in February. It's called Mastering Digital Project Management. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, but you know you need some PM training, check it out. It's a seven-week crash course, and it includes interactive video lessons, uh, webinars, uh, assignments, group discussion, the option of coaching sessions too. So head to dpmschool.com and get yourself signed up before the course fills up. And if you'd like to contribute to the conversation, comment on the post and head to the resources section of digitalprojectmanager.com to join our Slack team. And you'll find all kinds of interesting conversation going on there about all things digital and PM. 
And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe. Take a couple of minutes to leave an honest review for the DPN podcast on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are extremely helpful. So please do that. It really helps us tailor the show and make it better. So it's greatly appreciated. But until next time, thanks for listening.